Welcome back, listeners, to this week's episode of Practice Management Insights. I am your host, Ashley Malone, and as always, I am so thankful that you are joining us for this week's episode. Practice Management Insights was launched to support managers and leaders in the healthcare industry with some of the challenges that each of us faces in the daily operations of our practices. I cannot believe we are entering season four already, and we appreciate all of our newer listeners as well as those of you who have been with us from the beginning. One of my favorite things about hosting this podcast is I get to talk with other leaders in the healthcare industry. Sometimes this is a fellow administrator, and sometimes it's a resource or contact at a company that supports the healthcare industry. Today, I have the pleasure of welcoming our guest and my friend, Randy Marsden, with Marsden Advisors, who will share more information with us about two of the topics that I honestly try to ignore as much as possible, which is MIPS reporting and EMR migrations. Randy, welcome. Um, to today's podcast. Thank you for joining us. Hey, Ashley. Thanks for having me. This is great. So I, I was kidding when I said that I try to, you know, ignore these topics. But to me, this is, I, I to be honest, it's probably because it, it, it kind of annoys me <laughs> that we have to do this. I've been in this industry for a really long time, over 20 years. And, you know, I remember when EMR was uncommon. And now, of course, it's almost, you know, I'm sure, you know, over 90% of practices, I would imagine, are in the EMR, they're using EMR. So, you know, just the journey itself of having to implement the EMR systems, it was very expensive, it was very challenging. Um, But then we had all these reporting requirements. And so, you know, I'm kidding. But honestly, I think part of it is just that I'm also being just stubborn, because we have to go through all these, these hoops. Um, you know, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that for one. Um, but then to also just really kind of introduce your company, um, you know, why you're actually a blessing to people like me, um, and what kind of services you guys provide. Yeah. So, I mean, your frustrations are felt across pretty much every practice we work with. And interestingly, I don't think people in practices think about this, but actually the EHR vendors don't like any of this either. So EHR vendors are in the business to create software. And with these regulations um, and thinking of projects like data migration and all these standards and things like that, it's really pushing and, and driving their development pipeline in a way that they can't really control. So you often find that nobody really wants to be dealing with this, and that's why I started the business. I worked in practices. I worked at EHR vendors. I developed the technology that's required for these uh, programs, all the way from meaningfully used to now. And I always noticed that um, practices would come to us saying, hey, we need we, we need help doing this. We, we understand your product and meet these requirements, but we need, we need extra oversight. And the EHR vendors are like, oh, well, we don't, you know, we don't do that. You know, here's how to do it go figure it out. So I started my consulting business uh, five or six years ago with the mission that we wanted to do things that everyone hates doing. So we started with the MIPS program. Uh, we work with over 1,500 doctors each year nationwide, mostly in ophthalmology. And uh, you know we're pretty much like a tax accountant. We just come in, get set up into the systems. Uh, we have policy expert in DC that is constantly keeping up the latest code and regulations. 
and then we have a team of experts that mostly came from practices or some in some cases EHR vendors that are disseminating that into a much more easy to understand way and and honestly we're trying to do as much of the work as possible so we're just telling our administrators what they need to do in order to get things done each year. I, I love how you kind of prefaced I guess your your service you know I Again, I, I, I'm just kidding, but it's kind of like at work when I always say that if I'm not thinking about my cleaning crew, then they're doing a good job, right? So it's there's certain services, you just want them to be in the background and you want them to be amazing and you just want to not have an issue like payroll. If payroll gets in everyone's account, you like your payroll company. So I kind of, I really like how you preface that and how you really just took ownership of an area that is, you know, it's, it's painful for most of us um, and how you just try to offload that from the, from the plate of the administrators. I hadn't thought of it from the EHR vendors perspective, um, how, you know, this is a little inconvenience in their, in their workflow as well. Can you touch on that? Um, maybe how this, these reporting requirements have affected their ability to grow within um, the industry? Yeah, I mean, from my perspective, from where I've worked and just dealing with EHR vendors lately, I mean, I'm sure, you know, maybe last year, towards the end of last year, maybe you didn't have to see a lot of cool features coming out uh, with your EHR or just trying to get feedback on things was more difficult. And that's because they have to go through what's called certification. And certification is not an easy process. Uh, basically, every requirement that has to be implemented has to go through live testing with a proctor. It costs a lot of money, and they, if they fail, it costs even more. And so it's a, it's a huge process that takes place. And what's really unfortunate about it is it's like all these things that, that are being put in, especially in this latest uh, round of additions, you're probably not even going to really notice things change. And, and a lot of EHRs are actually uh, promoting that, like, hey, there's not a lot you need to learn. It's not like the last certification event, which was the 2014 to 2015 cert, which took place, I believe, in 2017, 2016. The years just make no sense in terms of the certification numbers. But uh, it's it's a lot of just that that needed to get done to support the Cures Act. And the Cures Act could just be a whole other podcast episode, but basically the goal here is to take what we have at HIPAA and what we all understand that our HIPAA requirements and bring them up to the 21st century, uh, allow data to be shared freely between systems but without you know, it having to be in the same EHR uh, across patients, payers, referring providers. So the, the things that are being implemented and certified right now today might not really change any of your workflow, but this is really laying the groundwork for really making all data uh, interoperability more efficient in the years to come. That's interesting in itself. You know, sometimes I feel like we just have these little pieces being spoon fed to us when there's really kind of a broader vision or a kind of a master plan. So it's interesting to hear your perspective because you're really on the inside of that and trying to, um, it's almost like a pioneer in this space and just trying to, to work through some of those challenges and those barriers to make sure that those systems can then go in the direction in which they've been intended. I think the big thing here is, you know, we're, we're 
doing a lot in this industry because the government tells us what to do. So they, they've identified issues, right? And I think we can all agree the same issues, communicating clinical data between practices or uh, to patients or to the payers when there's prior off. This is all a manual process. And it's, it's that way because our industry just has not been with the times when you compare it to other uh, industries out there, um, especially within healthcare specifically. Um, ophthalmology has been lagging compared to if you look at like primary care and other specialties. So we're, we're playing catch up and that's what's really causing this to be rather annoying and frustrating. But if you think about, you know, you know I think a, a real world example that came up recently was that Aetna wanted to start doing prior offs on all cataract surgeries, right? Yeah. And I know that they've, they've pushed back from there, but this, this did get a lot of, of our customers thinking and, and you know, I, I've spoken to a lot of them about this. It's like, hey, you know, we have all these requirements now where the data has to be able to be sent in a standard format. Can we do it? Can we do a prior off that way? And the answer is yes, but uh, it's not really, it's, there's, a, there's a few different ways to go about it. And what I've been pushing is, hey, it sounds like, it sounds like you all actually need this to be done electronically. It will really speed up everything for you. The government hasn't come down and said, hey, you need to do this yet. So rather than wait on them to come up with a you know pretty lousy way of doing it, it's it's really up to the industry right now to take a look and decide and say, hey, here's how we're going to do it. Because if you do it that way, you get it done the right way, and then you don't. And then the government will probably say, hey, we like that. Do it that way. Everyone needs to start doing it that way. So it, it, between that and you know, I'm sure you all, if you're cataract surgeons, particularly. Uh, you're probably reporting on cataract outcome measures for MIPS. Uh, but if you do co-management, then unless you're getting that data back and you're entering it into your chart, you're not going to score well on that measure. But if we could just get the co-management down to an electronic process where uh, the optometrist sends them their data to you electronically, that gets loaded into your chart, you uh, perform the surgery, that surgery thing counter gets put back in the chart, and then everything gets sent over to the optometrist and then the optometrist sends the post-topic information back. Like that's all possible with the standards that all of these EHRs are setting up. And now it's a matter of taking these requirements and, and creating actual processes around it that solve business needs for your practice. You, you touched on exactly why I get irritated. So that measure, for example, we are, we do, we do a lot of other things too, but we do a lot of cataracts and a huge percentage of those are co-managed. And that measure specifically, we were discussing in my office last week, you know, we're, we're required to do these, these measures and this reporting and all this regulatory stuff, but then we're handcuffed in the way that, you know, we can do it. Um, do you think that that's to really push the industry? I, I don't understand the penalty behind that when we're not able to get that data yet. Yeah, I mean, I will say it's if I was rewriting that measure today, I would have an exclusion for co-management. There actually is an exclusion for co-management the other way, um, but not for uh, the way that we all have a problem with this measure. So the, the measures do get improved on, and there are new measures being developed constantly by all of the different specialty societies. Uh, we've had our involvement in a lot of those. Um, just and, and I guess what I can say is the, the the feedback of like these um, measures that are created 
I wouldn't say in a vacuum, but let's just use that generally, um, without feedback from the, the community that has to actually use these measures, they're never going to change. And uh, we always like to remind everybody that these rules come out every year. Uh, a lot of the measure uh, specifications are reviewed two to three years prior to when they're actually implemented. And there's a public commenting process available for all of them. Uh, if you, I, I don't know if you have any way of sending out a link or something, but if you go to our website, marsdenadvisors.com slash blog, you subscribe. Anytime there's these new measure uh, feedback process or testing or the proposal comes out, we, we go ahead and put together like what we think should be changed or what we, based on our experience, what we think doesn't work. And we submit that. But if you, if your whole audience does that as well, then it's more likely for these things to actually get changed and lead to the measures becoming better. So, you know, to answer your question on that in, a, in a, as short as possible, um, these measures are all up for debate and they can be adjusted uh, year over year. Well, thank you for explaining that too. And, and obviously your commitment to kind of the advocacy part of this um, is, you know, super helpful. We'll definitely include that link um, so that others can can find that information. I love that you are proactively uh, feeding information to your clients as well. Um, that, so you, we talked about ophthalmology. I'm in the ophthalmic space. I know that you work with different industry or in, within the healthcare industry. You with other specialties as well. Um, what about, you know, people have heard about the Iris Registry, the Academy of um, Ophthalmology is, the American Academy of Ophthalmology is really involved. How, where do you cross over? How does that work? Yeah, so if you, in terms of like the service that we provide, you can think of us as your practice's role in this whole thing. So our job is so that you don't have to have somebody in your office that is dedicated to working on the MIPS program. So, so we're that replace that in-office replacement, like outsource. But we will work with whatever submission method you choose. So some practices just use what's in the EHR and directly export that out, and we upload that to QPP. Um, luckily, in ophthalmology, you have access to the IRS registry as being an academy member. So that allows you to report on many more measures than what's just included within an EHR. And we work on that too. So with, with our practices that are using Iris Registry, we get set up as a user in their EHR and we have uh, access to their dashboard in the registry. And we're the ones doing what you should probably be doing, which is identifying which new measures should be set up based on what you treat. Uh, set, uh, mapping that into your EHR, reviewing and auditing patients that are meeting or not meeting requirements to ensure that the data is coming over properly. Uh, opening up cases with the registry or with the EHR to get things fixed, or uh, we share feedback with you if there's documentation errors that need to be fixed, or uh, there's training that needs to be done for particular measures for your staff. Because one one thing we'll commonly find is, especially when it's uh, like a tech or scribe-driven measure, is we can see we see that there's not something's not scoring well. Sometimes we can pinpoint it down to a specific location. And then it's easy to just go get that corrected because maybe they, they don't have that same education that another location had. Or in outcome-based measures, which is what the doctors are usually entering, we can usually find that it's down to specific doctors that may not be documenting something properly. However, I will say, and uh, kudos to everyone in the community, it's, I'd say 80% of the issues you're find are technical in nature. 
and those are what we're working on with the EHR registry. And I will say, you know, we, we have a hard enough time managing those and getting them resolved. I can't imagine trying to, uh, as a practice administrator, um, trying to keep up with that, those, but also having the technical mindset where you can, you know, explain it better. Because a lot of times we find practices, we're told that something couldn't be done or it's not possible, but then we look at it and we're like, oh no, it, it, it could be, I think so there's just, it's getting lost in translation between like a clinical person and a technical person. And so we're able to help resolve those kinds of communication gaps. That's really great. I, I know that, in, you know, when, when you're the one responsible for this, and I know that there's a lot of smaller practices and they're just not really um, equipped or they don't think they're equipped to be able to outsource some of these services. But hearing you explain it, you know, you really are just the experts in this field and just the anxiety, reducing the anxiety level, I think, um, is probably well worth it right there. And then you look at the time um, that it takes, you know, internally to handle these, these tasks and really this whole program, um, it really just seems to make more sense um, in a lot of cases to outsource it to uh, a group like yours. Oh, sorry, I think you, you, you brought it up earlier um, uh, where you said, you know, I don't have to think about my cleaning staff if the, the office is clean. You know, paychecks go out on time, doing a great job. I, it's kind of like, I don't know if you've heard like the saying, like the shoe cobbler doesn't wear shoes, whatever, something like that. But like, I'm the same way. Like I, you know, only up until maybe like three years ago, I started having, hiring a tax accountant. And two years ago, we switched to a PEO, which is they, they manage all of our HR payroll and all that. And I, I keep having to remind myself, hey, you, you need to do what you, you're preaching, which is don't do the work that other people can do more effectively because um, it's just going to eat up your time and you have better things to do. And so when it comes to this notes reporting, it's the same thing. It's like we're going to get it done uh, at a much higher quality and quicker and more efficiently. If you're this, if you're to sit down and, and like calculate how many hours you're spending, um, which is hard for you to do because you're multitasking pretty much all day. It's a it's a really good point. It's one of those things that just you know do the analysis, do the research, choose the vendor, and then move on. Like just consider it done. You you touched on one of my questions because I know that in my office, the person who handles this for us, she's wonderful and you know she she does a great job, but. She, things come up, like she sees things in our systems, maybe a problem with our workflow, you know, that's inconsistent across different doctors or clinics. And so we have to have meetings for that. You, I think you answered that, but just to point that out again, for people who are thinking, oh, it's too hard or it's disconnected or how would we communicate? So it, it sounds like you constantly have a, you have a process of giving that feedback and communicating back to the practice if something needs to be adjusted in their regular workflow. Yeah, so we are going through and auditing the data as it gets refreshed in the registry, mostly uh, for the most part our customers in the registry. And we provide a report to our point of contact at the practice. So it's not that we have to have a single point of contact, but that seems to be working the best for most of our clients where we're meeting with somebody at your practice. Maybe it's like a clinical manager, practice administrator. It's also like if, if you have anybody on staff that is looking for like a, a step up in their career or, or they want to do something, it's this is usually a good like project to put them on because it helps them, you know, work with a vendor and, Made and there's a lot of great um, 
benefits of, of having that. But essentially what we're doing is we're providing a report where it goes down every measure and it shows what we're finding. And then pretty much it's the only responsibility that our practice contact has is to disseminate that uh, to the doctors or to the staff. And then we're running the reports again to track and group. That's a good um, tip. We talk a lot about HR on this podcast and really we have to approach HR differently, I think, um, moving forward and, you know, thinking outside the box a little bit. There's different kinds of resources available now, but also just internal staff training. Sometimes we forget that people do have goals, you know, with their career development. And there are some superstars that we don't really ever give the opportunity, I think, to fully shine. So I love that you pointed that out as well. You know, if there's someone who's interested in growing or maybe technically savvy or, you know, kind of shows an interest that this was a, a great way to, to put them on a project and help develop that a little bit more. Um, so I love that you said that. The feedback I get most often that I like to hear is regardless of who we're working with, whether it's the practice administrator or, or a manager or tech or what have you, I love when they say you make me look good. You know, the powers that be at your organization might know that you're working with us, but if that person's able to take everything we do and and provide it to to the group and you're looking amazing, and, you know, sometimes, like, I I run into so many doctors at these conferences that I tell them what they do, and they're like, wow, that would be amazing if we had that. Uh, And I look at them up like, oh, no, you you do. They're like, oh, well, if we don't know know you exist, then that, that means even more so yeah we're happy with what's going on you're doing a good job you should make up t-shirts we make you look good (laughs) so um so if there's clients or i guess practices that may not be a client um but they let's say they get audited or they have some questions i had oh unfortunately there's you know practices out there that have had different levels of chaos whether it be embezzlement or maybe an administrator that said that they reported and they never did, you know, things like that. Are you able to take on clients in kind of a retro capacity too and help them with audits and kind of backtracking and piecing things together? Yeah, to an extent. I mean, we take that as a case-by-case basis because sometimes we come into a practice and we find that they did something wrong from the get-go and, you know, we have to wait till an audit happens to actually do anything the way CMS works. But, you know, one thing that's great about working with us is when we submit your data at the end of the year or end of the reporting period, we have everything ready to go for an audit. So if you did an improvement activity, we have the whatever the improvement activity requires. I think a lot of people aren't aware that there's actual data validation that's publicly available on a PPP site that basically for every single measure, it tells you what the auditors will look for. And we know that today for this year's reporting period. So it shouldn't be when you get audited up to six years down the line that you see that and say, hmm, how are we going to get all that information together? So if you're working with us, we're providing that already. And if you're not working with us, I think you should go through everything you've submitted and make sure you have that all ready to prove. And then you can just store that in a file and then put it away. Uh, if we were to help practices that have already submitted and it wasn't involved with us, we would pretty much go through that process to, to see what happened. But I think you can all relate to this, especially as, and I, I always dealt with this when we were getting practices switched from uh, paper to EHR, is EHR is like a real-time system. So if you're 
let's say you run into reports for promoting interoperability today and you use that report to submit and then you run it maybe in a few months from now, it might be different. And that might not be a problem because maybe something changed in the chart, like the patient got yeah, registered for something or, or what have you, but um, it, things, it's the, the HR data can be very volatile. So if the, if the data doesn't match, even though it may, may be did match, but you didn't save that report, that's, those are the unfortunate problems we run into, which we wouldn't be able to control. I love that too. Just the peace of mind. Gosh, it's just the peace of mind. You don't only do the work, you have all the documentation. It can go in a binder, it can go on a shelf, and everyone just knows that it's taken care of, um, which, you know, just there's so much to take care of nowadays that's just helpful in itself. The, the last piece that you alluded to that I just wanted to uh, at least introduce our listeners to um, the EMR integration piece, I know that I've been through two EMR um, kind of switching between systems, paper and then an EMR system, and then we switched to another EMR system. And wow, that's painful. That, you know, the vendors make it sound really seamless and, and straightforward, but just the, the ability to, to get your full charts again after the switch. Um, and I know that when we talked last time, I didn't realize this was a service that you're that you're providing in the industry as well. Can you just kind of give a, just an overview of how that looks? Yeah, so it, it's kind of an interesting time right now with the Cures Act and what is required, but basically starting next year, or I, I should say to be more specific, December 31st of this year, all certified products have to be able to provide an, an EHI export, electronic health information export. So what that means is this shouldn't be as big of a, a nightmare going forward. But as of today, and if, especially if you're not coming from a vendor that's certified into this latest version, there's some way that we have to get the data out. And that could either be going directly into the server and pulling it from the database or in cloud-based products, uh, requesting an export from the vendor. Uh, and at this point, it's, it's kind of disparate. So sometimes we're able to get actual what we call discrete data, which is like if you have the intraocular pressure entered in into a field for intraocular pressure on one system, we can move it to the same field in the corresponding system. That's what we always aim for, right? Because that way it can just be used. You know, you can graph it or you can copy something forward or you don't have to go pull up a PDF. So that's always what we're aiming for. But, you know, at the end of the day, these aren't going to be perfect because it's we're, we're putting data from one to another. Um, we always like to say, you know, we have practices that will say, why can't I get this piece of information out of it? Like, why couldn't you do it? Like, they, they're they blaming us. And we're like, well, you left that EHR for a reason, right? Because <laughs> of reporting. So, you know, it's, it's sometimes it's garbage in, garbage out. And the uh, overall, our goal is to try to get the most usable data out of the old system into the new one, uh, which, like you said, chart prep, I mean, I, I never I never like sugarcoat it and say if you do a migration you don't have to chart prep that's not true you should definitely be looking over these charts and comparing it to the old system before you see the patient but it's it's just like a you know one to two minute review just to make sure that what you see in the old system is what you see in the new um, and but I think at the end of the day the the big thing that's important for the migration is if you think about it when you're switching systems. You know, a lot of these vendors are having you see patients while you're learning it. And 
to also have to be entering everything in from scratch just means you're not going to really be paying attention to the actual training. You're just going to try to get through your day. So the migration can be an expensive thing to do, but if you, again, look at the actual, you know, hidden costs of not doing that and the long-term effects of that, it's really reasonable and Absolutely. And I, I, I'm sure you hear this all the time. I hear it too, is, you know, the number one temptation when you start that process is to cut clinics. So, you know, if you're cutting clinics to 30%, you're losing revenue anyway. So investing in resources that can help, you know, expedite this process or to make it more efficient um, really just seems to be a logical uh, decision. Well, Randy, I so appreciate you being um, with us today. You're, I always love talking to you when we see each other, and um, I am fascinated by your company. I'm fascinated by the, the services that you provide, probably because I refuse to absorb them in my brain. So it's like hearing it for the first time because I'm just fascinated how, how well you are able to provide it. Um, for listeners that would be interested in reaching out to you or learning more about your services, how could they get a hold of you? Yeah, so if you just have anything for me specifically, my email address is randy, R-A-N-D-Y, at marstonadvisors.com. Uh, however, I will say if you're trying to get like started or you want to learn more about our services, I'm not going to be the quickest. <laughs> so I'll tell you to email getstarted at marstonadvisors.com. And um, if you do, if you are interested in working with us across either MIPS or migrations, make sure you mention that you're a subscriber of this podcast. Uh, that we can give you some special friends and family deal. I love that. Thank you so much. It was such a pleasure to talk with you again, and I hope you have a great week. Yep, yeah, same to you, Ashley. Bye. Thanks. Bye. Practice Management Insights is a podcast produced by Practice Management and Legal Consulting. For more information, visit us at pmlclaw.com or to submit a topic for future consideration, email Ashley, A-S-H-L-I-E, at pmlclaw.com.